0: Hi, I'm Andrew. I'm Kirsten. And this is Most Foul. Yeah. Jack the Ripper Part 2.
1: So much Jack the Ripper.
0: Listeners, for you, it's been a week. For us, it's been five minutes. Mm Mm-hmm. And this one, I mean, I really do hope we hear from you all with some of your theories or links or resources that you really like because i even after all this research i could just keep going with jack the ripper oh
1: completely i mean i could read about jack the ripper just and there's so much to read so much
0: so i think we'll probably just get right into the culture side
1: yeah let's do it
0: so obviously Jack the Ripper was not the world's first serial killer, but he's undoubtedly one of the most, if not the most, well-known serial killer in the world. And as such, his impact on culture is nearly unquantifiable. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to do my best. I've done my best. (laughs) There will be so many things that I don't mention but i feel as though i've i've built it in such a way
1: <laughs> yeah i mean last episode i referred to this as the mount everest and i feel like just like mount everest we could maybe have multiple expeditions to this very high peak
0: oh that would be yeah okay that's a, that's a <laughs> conversation for you and i i'm like i'm intrigued by that thought <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and also to the listeners, because maybe if you send us a, enough theories, enough mm-hmm. links, we might do an entire theories uh, oh, CODA my episode gosh. to this.
1: <gasps> that would be so fun.
0: Yes. So please, send them in. Do it, do it, do it. <laughs> okay, so sort of as a, a place to start, I'm going to begin with criminology itself. Mm-hmm. So what is considered to be one of, if not the first crime scene photo ever taken was of mary jane kelly mm. at miller court mm. obviously this is standard procedure in police investigation today but i, I mean just access to cameras in the <laughs> right. first place right. the history of the world without cameras so right. these awful crime scene photos that you know we saw unprepared for them are some of the first in history
2: mm-hmm.
0: also the technique of comparing the bodies of victims to establish in an an mo was initiated during this investigation wow so that was not clearly documented or laid out anywhere in policing procedure
1: that's hard to believe
0: yeah i mean it's not that long ago i mean mm-hmm. 1880s But when you think of the modern world, it's like the modern world was just kind of starting.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
0: So even further, Robert Anderson, head of the Criminal Investigation Department, or CID at the time, asked police surgeon Thomas Bond to give his opinion on the extent of the murderer's surgical skill and knowledge. So, the opinion that Bond offered on the character of the Whitechapel murderer, which is what he was called at the time, mm-hmm. is the earliest surviving offender profile, and it's the predecessor to FBI criminal profiling of today. Wow. And so, Bond's assessment was based on his own examination of the most extensively mutilated victim and the mm-hmm. post-mortem notes from the four previous canonical murders. Mm-hmm. So, he wrote, quote... All five murders, no doubt, were committed by the same hand. In the first four, the throats appear to have been cut from left to right. In the last case, owing to the extensive mutilation, it's impossible to say in what direction the fatal cut was made. But arterial blood was found on the wall and splashes close to where the woman's head must have been lying. All the circumstances surrounding the murders lead me to form the opinion that the women must have been lying down when murdered, and in every case, the throat was first cut end quote. Mm. Mm. So apologies for the the graphic details. I know we don't normally go (laughs) that Mm. extreme, but I felt like, holy cow, is that not something you could read about a case today?
1: Right, right.
0: And this is the first documented case of profiling in this way.
1: Yeah, it's incredible.
0: So to that end, it can be argued that all of modern forensic investigation techniques find their origins pointing back to the Ripper. Mm. So right off the bat, it's clear that these ripples from these horrific murders are unbelievably far-reaching. Yeah. I mean, what we know of criminology itself.
1: I know. And, I mean, just as an aside, these are my favorite kind of ripples sometimes because they underlie so many other ones and they have that way of reaching out so that, you know, we've talked about it before, you experience the ripple and you don't even know where it came from. Um, They're so pervasive.
0: Well, and we know like the leading into uh, FBI profiling, it it comes from a different person, a different Mm -hmm. place. Like that's pretty well documented and it's documented through things like Mindhunter.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: But I wish there would be a callback. I mean, there's so much information connecting Mm -hmm. back to the Ripper up to these points where it's like, man, I wish there could have been some illusion in some of that media I'd already consumed. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't realize it went all the way. I mean, even if you look to the Wikipedia itself about police profiling, it starts with the Ripper.
1: I mean, I would love to know John Douglas's inciting incident.
0: (laughs) That would be fascinating. (laughs) So the next section is really one that I could also talk forever about, and possibly (laughs) you could too. So next I want to talk about this case and its impact on media and journalism. Mm,
2: mm, mm Mm-hmm.
0: So, these crimes and subsequent media coverage mark an important watershed moment in the treatment of crime by journalists. Mm-hmm. To fully explain, I have to get into a little bit of a history lesson. Yay! <laughs> and I've kept it as brief as I can, starting with everyone's favorite subject tax reforms in the 1850s in England. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How did you know?
0: don't don't end the podcast i promise this will be brief and it will be interesting (laughs) so there were significant tax reforms in the 1850s and it enabled the publication of inexpensive newspapers that led to a wider circulation Mm. so then we have the elementary education act of 1880 Mm mm-hmm And that made school attendance compulsory in the UK, regardless of class and status. Mm -hmm. So because of this, by 1888, more working class people in England and Wales were literate than ever before. Wow. Yeah. So these two things combined in the Victorian era to include and create mass circulation newspapers costing as little as a half penny. Mm. as well as popular magazines like the illustrated police news all of which gave the ripper unparalleled publicity mm-hmm. in the history of humanity wow so at the height of the investigation over one million copies of newspapers with extensive coverage devoted to the Whitechapel murders were sold every single day
1: holy shit
0: yeah it's It's not just the invention of a media frenzy. In a way, it's the invention of modern media.
1: Right. Right.
0: So, Uh. of course, and not to say that there are today, (laughs) but (laughs) there weren't fact checkers. Mm -hmm. Many articles were sensationalistic. And Mm -hmm. that's if we're being nice. Uh, They're straight up lies (laughs) if we're going (laughs) to get down to it. And... As white people are wont to do, Mm -hmm. many of the articles perpetuated xenophobic rumors Mm. that the killer was either Jewish or a foreigner.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Swarthy.
0: To the point where literal headlines like, no Englishman could do this. What? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. This is why last episode I was so like, I don't think it's a Jewish person. (laughs) It was so anti-Semitic, so nationalistic. And when I think about Brexit today, history repeats itself. But anyway. Wow. So continuing this thread in the media discussion, six days after the murder of Marianne Nichols, which Kirsten led us through last episode, the Manchester Guardian reported, quote, Whatever information may be in the possession of the police, they deem it necessary to keep secret. It is believed their attention is particularly directed to a notorious character known as Leather Apron, end mm. quote. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the shift from Whitechapel murders into Leather Apron. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so again, one of the first recorded instances of police actively withholding information from the press... Mm-hmm. And as such, journalists were pissed, which <laughs> led to even more sensationalistic, a.k.a. untrue, right. reporting, especially by way of imaginative descriptions of leather apron. Uh. And then we have the publication of the Dear Boss letter, and that was the one, as Kirsten said, replaced the leather apron with Jack the Ripper mm-hmm. as the official moniker Slash go to name for the right. press. Huh. And since it's the press, also the public. Right. So the invention and adoption of a nickname for a particular killer already existed. Mm-hmm. Like that was a thing that had already been done. Mm-hmm. But because of the media boom, this case baited a standard practice. So names like the Axemen of New Orleans, the Boston mm-hmm. Strangler, the Golden State Killer, the Gainesville, oh, not the Gainesville Ripper. <laughs> All of those point back to Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. But then you have the direct direct. The Gainesville right. Ripper, the French Ripper, the Dusseldorf Ripper, the Camden Ripper, the Blackout Ripper, Jack the Stripper, which is a, a fun one that we can discuss another time. Uh, <laughs> the Yorkshire Ripper and the of Ripper. Yeah. All of which owe their monikers directly to this case.
1: Right. Again,
0: Ugh. those ripples are like, nearly endless and i probably more than any other case so far this my research went into tons of edu <laughs> websites mm-hmm. and like scholarly papers mm-hmm. and one scholar observed that this media coverage represented a new style of reporting characterized by an emphasis on sensation and themes to attract readers eerily similar to the hellscape of our current media landscape today in our world of clickbait and political propaganda as news.
1: Yeah. So
0: it was like the invention of selling news. Right. Which is, again, I I just said it, but eerily similar to our clickbait news model of today. Right. So back to the media at the time, all of this coverage and speculation began to profoundly impact society as a whole. So yeah, it's just crazy.
1: Yeah, I'm taking it all in. Yeah, it is crazy. I mean, when when an event, whether it's a crime or any other kind of event, changes the, the fabric of how you do something, how you think about something, I mean, that really is a shift in, you know, society.
0: And it was a convergence. So the tax acts, the schooling legislation the literacy rates the ability to print these things for cheap mass distribute them Mm -hmm. plus the sensationalization right and to that end i read many a theory which i am kind of leaning to that maybe none of the letters were Mm -hmm. from the killer Mm -hmm. and that they were all from the press a press person Mm. selling papers building this mythos keeping it going like there was a really intense financial incentive mm-hmm. to build this up i mean selling a million a day yeah
1: that's crazy
0: so again it very some of them one of them three of them there could very well be letters from the killer mm-hmm. so i'm not saying that 100 percent, but it did make me question it more than anything else i've researched
1: right right
0: that there's a like journalists were actively making shit up nonstop about this case to sell right. papers and so why a not take that next the step
1: yeah i mean it has me wondering where is that little piece of kidney because that could be tested now it couldn't be mm-hmm. tested then but i mean maybe it could i don't know <laughs> I, i'm not like, a doctor but i'm assuming there's dna in in a little part of a kidney
0: and even that, it's like, could be a pig's kidney, could be right. a reporter or somebody who has a connection to the, the morgue or its equivalent at the time. Like, right. There's so many ways even that might not necessarily be proof, but, mm-hmm. God, I want to know more. I know, me too. <laughs> but to the positive side of all of this... These murders and the sensational coverage resulted in a greater emphasis on the socioeconomic and environmental causes of poverty, Mm -hmm. which represented the shift away from the previously held belief at the time that poverty was a result of moral and character deficits, Mm -hmm. which unfortunately has been reintroduced and wound up to the nth degree by like white evangelical americanism mm-hmm. and this notion of conflating jesus and religion with economic success yeah so it's back but at the time it was a profound shift right. in public opinion hmm So the Times and the Daily Telegraph both published letters blaming murders on the poverty in Whitechapel, as well as several leading medical journals which advocated for slum improvements, including calls for better lighting and sanitation.
2: Mm, Yeah. So
0: by the end of the 1880s, it was no longer fashionable to blame the living conditions of the East End on vice, immorality, or character deficits of the residents. Essentially, reformers used the murders as evidence for the need to reform Mm. and possibly in an unintended result of the sensationalism to sell newspapers keeping the murders and by implication the slum problem quote unquote central to this discussion paved the way for reform so both socialists and conservatives used the murder to convince authorities to invest in improvements in the east end wow essentially doing more for social reform than the general methods of policy, public pressure and governmental law had done for 50 years. Wow. So another paper I read kind of in the .edu section uh mm-hmm. from Warwick and Willis summed it up nicely and this was a paper from 2006 where they said, quote, "Jack the murderer became Jack the missionary, murder allowed for social reform." end quote. Wow. So, whoever the killer actually was is just a man. But the mythology of Jack the Ripper provided the people of the time with a personification of the suffering in Whitechapel, as well as the implication of everything that was wrong with Victorian society in general. Mm. So, in the weirdest, weirdest way, these horrific crimes initiated a process of reform that gained momentum and would continue into and through the 20th century all the way to today. Wow. Now, I couldn't have covered any of this, anything (laughs) about this social reform without an incredible article written by Greg John Jones from the Department of History at the University of the West of England. Mm -hmm. And that article is linked in our notes and it contains infinitely more information and is fascinating. Wow.
1: Amazing. I, I just you know, I feel like we're still having this conversation, though. And we talk about it a lot in a lot of these cases, because, again, kind of a hunting ground of people like this is typically in areas where there are vulnerable people. And the same things create these areas, the same things create people who are suffering. And you know mm-hmm. what we like to call down on their luck even though it's not luck it's you know systemic racism and systemic misogyny and you know all kinds of social ills and we're still dealing with them it's so mm-hmm. frustrating I mean it's amazing that this kind of got it going but it feels like we've regressed and so we many have.
0: ways. that was a big part of the research and again that article it doesn't go into it too much but it gives you so much good background about that time Mm -hmm. that it's so clear to see how we've regressed and it's due to this rise in conservatism Mm -hmm. not necessarily like an american party system but like as a a nationalistic heading into fascist sort of ideal Mm -hmm. and this entrenchment of that notion with white supremacy with religion Mm -hmm. slash christianity has like Come back with a vengeance. People, in some ways, were so much more progressive at the end of the 1800s. Right. At, at least, at least in this front, right. that it is astonishing. I mean, even like in American politics and political history, I feel like you can point back a lot toward Ronald Reagan mm-hmm. with the rise of American evangelicalism mm-hmm. overtaking the um, GOP and. All of those pushes that has put moral failure back into the cause of poverty.
1: Right, right.
0: I mean, this, uh, we've said it so many times, but like truly dissertation (laughs) material.
1: Yeah, literally. (laughs) And they exist.
0: Yeah, it's disheartening and fascinating.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: But I think to take us a little bit back into our regular sphere, away from <laughs> some of the uh, .edu <laughs> scholarly articles.
1: Enough with your highfalutin ideals, Andrew. Let's, let's get back to the bread and butter.
0: It's still not too far away. So heading back into our more familiar world of pop culture, starting with literature. Mm. And it, almost immediately, works of fiction inspired by the murders began to appear. Mm-hmm. The short gothic novel, The Curse Upon Miter Square by John Francis Brewer was released in 1888, literally immediately. (laughs) And it features the murder of Catherine in Miter Square as a key plot point. Hmm. The next year, In Darkest London came out, and that was written by Margaret Harkness under the pen name John Law and depicts the Ripper as a non-Jewish murderer who hides among the Jewish people in the East End. Hmm. Um, And it wasn't just local to England. A reputedly unsavory anthology of short stories was published in Sweden in 1892 that touched on and focused around the Ripper murders. And that was written by Adolf Paul, which, what an insane name. I wonder if Paul is pronounced in a different way. (laughs) But... (laughs) (laughs) written by a man named Adolf Paul and it was so scandalous that it was suppressed by Russian authorities. Wow. Russian? Or Swedish? Russian, uh, who it was a different time in the 1800s (laughs) through a lot of pieces (laughs) in that uh, zone. (laughs) Um, Starting in the well actually let me clarify that because that sounds like incorrect. What I mean is it was a a russian or a swedish set of short stories and russia sweden finland that that whole block was pretty well in tune culturally mm-hmm. and so it, it spread and it was so bad that the russian government was like not ah not here got it okay <laughs> it, that that's not coming over with these imports
1: don't send that filth here
0: not that the russian government was in charge of sweden <laughs> the I, yeah i was a little
1: confused but <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah like after i finished that, i was like oh that only makes sense in my head <laughs> okay anyway starting in 1907 the character sherlock holmes starts a literary journey in which he investigates this case and that begins with the book how jack the ripper was taken which was published in germany and then the title is an english translation because i don't speak german and i would be embarrassed <laughs> to try it and i'm gonna have some bad pronunciations as we go some things didn't have translations or names <laughs> but then in the 1930s that story was translated into spanish and that was sherlock holmes memorias Intimas del rey de los detectives
2: <laughs>
0: which incidentally was recently reprinted in english for the first time like Almost 100 years later. Oh, wow. So then Holmes and Jack the Ripper continue this literary coupling in Michael Dibden's The Last Sherlock Holmes Story in 1978, Ellery Queen's A Study in Terror in 1966, John Sladek's Black Aura in 1974, Barry Roberts' Sherlock Holmes and the Royal Flutch in 1998 and Lindsay Fay's Dust and Shadow, An Account of the Ripper Killings by Dr. John H. Watson in 2009. Huh. So there are many, many more. Sherlock Holmes and Jack the Ripper literally have their own subgenre in literature.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's next
0: level. And it's really fascinating, if not bizarre, that this happened. And I found a really great article, again in the episode notes, and it includes what i considered to be a fascinating take on how this happened so that was quote if you think the gap between fiction and fact created a credibility problem consider this paradox home the imagined character has been such a recognizable well-loved and widely portrayed figure over the past century that many people think he was an actual person while the ripper who really did exist, has become shadowy, mythical, and sometimes even romanticized because he was never caught. Mm. End quote. Yeah. So in that lens... So
1: true, yeah.
0: Pretty fascinating pairing. And to avoid this turning into a podcast only about this, I'll uh, transition (laughs) back to non-Sherlock literature.
1: Oh, but that's so much fun.
0: The first influential short story, The Lodger... By Marie Belloc Lowndes was published in McClure's Magazine in 1911, Mm -hmm. and then that was novelized in 1913, and then in 1927 the story was subject of the Alfred Hitchcock directed film *The Lodger: A Story of the London Fog*, and that was followed by four more adaptations. But I'll get into movies in just a bit. Mm -hmm. So in 1926. Leonard Matters proposed in a magazine article that the Ripper was an eminent doctor whose son died from syphilis, which he caught from a sex worker.
2: Mm.
0: He then turned that theory into the book, The Mystery of Jack the Ripper, which came out in 1929. Mm. Like many books, this one was marketed as a serious investigation, but there were many factual errors and sources that were never found, aka mm. possibly didn't exist in the first place. <laughs> Even still, the book inspired a play called Murder Most Fowl,
2: mm. great
0: name, <laughs> as well as the 1959 movie Jack the Ripper. Mm. Similarly, Jonathan Goodman's 1984 novel, Who He, question mark, Who He, mm. <laughs> is also written as a factual study. Mm. And then you have Robert Bloch's 1943 short story, Yours Truly, Jack the Ripper, mm-hmm. and that turned the story into the world of the paranormal in it he cast the ripper as an eternal who must make human sacrifices to extend his immortality Mm. and that story was adapted for both radio and television and interestingly block was not finished with ripper fiction (laughs) (laughs) he wrote an unrelated ripper story that was featured in the science fiction anthology dangerous visions in 1967 he also wrote the will to kill in 1954 and night of the ripper in 1984 and he'll come up again when i'm discussing tv yeah wow um so i'm just gonna call it there on literature because we have to call it somewhere (laughs) yeah (laughs) there's at least 100 books i didn't mention and that's probably an undercount Right. So the next sort of zone of culture, Mm -hmm. I wanted to look at the stage, the theater. Ah, yes. And that starts in, and this is where I'm going to get into some pronunciation (laughs) problems. (laughs) But it starts in 1904 with Frank Wedekind's mortality play, Die Brüche de Pendor. (laughs) (laughs) There wasn't a translation. Uh, and it features the Ripper murdering a character named Lulu, uh, who is the personification of lust, which right off the bat, I was like, fuck off. Yeah. These sex workers were human beings. Like, yeah, I don't I don't love that piece. Yeah. But uh, the play was later adapted into a 1928 film called Pandora's Box, mm. as well as an opera that was just entitled Lulu. Mm and it didn't stop there. The play was also made into three films in 1923, 1962, and 1980, uh, as well as another play in 1970. Wow. But sticking in stage productions, André de Lourdes, Jacques L'Aventure, I <laughs> was so embarrassed to even be attempting, but... No, I love it, it. That one was part of the golden age of Parisian theater. mm And then you also have Horace Ansley Vashel, who adapted Marie Belloc Lowndes' novel and short story that I mentioned earlier, The Lodger. Mm -hmm. So Horace adapted The Lodger to a stage production called The Lodger, Who Is He? And that opened on Broadway in 1917. Phyllis Tate based an opera also called The Lodger (laughs) on the same work. And that one opened in 1960. Uh, Murder Most Foul, which I mentioned in the previous section, was first performed in 1948. Mm-hmm. There were two British musicals, Ripper by Terence Greer and The Jack the Ripper Show and How They Wrote It by Frank Hatherley, were both staged in 1973. Weird. The next year, Jack the Ripper, the musical, premiered. And then, in terms of a big one, S- Stephen Sondheim's immensely popular Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street. Which itself was adapted into a major motion picture starring Johnny Depp. Mm -hmm. And last for the theater was 1996's rock opera, Yours Truly, Jack the Ripper.
1: I had no idea about this part of things.
0: A ton, and I am certain I am undercounting and missing. Yeah. Let us now move to film. (laughs) (sighs) And just to get them out of the way the many adaptations of The Lodger. So I mentioned yes. Hitchcock did the first. That mm-hmm. was followed by The Lodger in 32, followed by The Lodger in 44, <laughs> followed by Man in the Attic in 53, and lastly, The Lodger in 2009.
1: Such creativity.
0: Oh, you would not believe how many things are called Jack the Ripper. <laughs> I like purposely like you'll notice they don't all go chronologically i tried to write it in such a way where i don't sound insane (laughs) (laughs) but that said it's incredible a singular book could be adapted that many times in that many ways
1: that is that's incredible and that i could never have heard of it
0: (laughs) (laughs) but don't worry kirsten and listeners there are many 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 more movies that aren't adaptations of this novel (laughs)
1: I just, I have one in my mind, my favorite movie that incorporates um, Jack the Ripper that I know you will touch on, and I'm just biding my time until you get there.
0: Okay. Well, if I don't, you have full permission. I'll let you know when we're done with films, but let's see. Okay. Okay. So we have 1950s Room to Let, and that was one of the first horror pictures made by Hammer Film Productions, which we spoke a lot about in the Dracula episode. Mm Mm-hmm. So then in 1971, Hammer released two Ripper-inspired films, Hands of the Ripper and Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde, which sounds incredible. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, Dr. Jekyll turns into the evil predatory woman Sister Hyde and is responsible for the Ripper murders in that movie.
2: Hmm, okay.
0: And connecting it back to another episode of the podcast, (laughs) The Terror in the Wax Museum features... A murderer disguising himself as the waxwork of the Ripper uh, so fun fact, unlike many less famous murderers, there is no waxwork figure of Jack the Ripper at Madame Tussaud's in their Chamber of Horrors in real life because they have a policy of not modeling persons whose likeness is unknown so yeah. any sort of Madame Tussaud's it's a shadow mm. it's not uh it's not modeled after any person because he's never yeah. been caught right. Wow! And to learn way more about that, go back to our beginnings with our episode "Effigies and Wax."
1: Yeah, and Burke and Hare, who yes. inspired Doctor Jekyll and Sister Hyde.
0: <laughs> back to Jack. There's a lot of overlap in this one, but yeah, back to Jack. Uh, we had the 1958 made-for-TV movie entitled "Jack the Ripper." <laughs> And that was introduced by Boris Karloff, and it was based on a real 1895 newspaper report that British spiritualist Robert James Lees used his purported psychic powers to track the Ripper to a home of a London physician. So again, they're making shit up. Yeah. Uh, The 1959 movie also called Jack the Ripper, (laughs) (laughs) loosely based on the theory that the Ripper was an avenging doctor. It borrowed icons from previously successful horror films, like 1958's Dracula and 1957's The Curse of Frankenstein, giving the Ripper a costume of a top hat and a cape. So Mm. this is also the introduction of that trope and that Mm -hmm. costuming and visual style for the Ripper. I mean, capes, cloaks, like... Like, it, it is of the time, but right. this is kind of that first media piece of connecting that iconic look. Right. Which came from Dracula. Again, who we covered. <laughs> and then, interestingly, there were many German films on the case. Hmm. So, and these are all going to be English translations. <laughs> There's Paul Linney's Waxworks in 1924. George Willem Pabst's Pandora's Box in 29. The Monster of London City and 64. And then we get into the film legacy of the Sherlock Ripper subgenre. <laughs> yes. So that starts with 1965's A Study in Terror and 1979's Murder by Decree, which both pitch Sherlock Holmes against the Ripper. Hmm. And much like in our true crime communities and discussion boards, a lot of these movies are pushing different theories on who the Ripper actually was. Mm. So 1972's The Ruling Class links the Ripper to the British upper crust. Mm. 1997's The Ripper reveals the Ripper as Queen Victoria's grandson, Prince Eddie. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And then beyond that, there's comedic takes. Mm-hmm. So there's the black comedy Deadly Advice, and that follows a female serial killer who imagines that she's given advice from famous murderers, including Jack the Ripper. Mm. Um, Dr. Strangelove, the antagonist is named General Jack D. Ripper. Uh, the 1987 comedy Amazon Women on the Moon parodies theories <laughs> of the Ripper's identity by speculating that Jack the Ripper was the Loch Ness Monster in disguise. <laughs> Uh, and the comedians aren't all current. Marcel Karn's 1937 Droll de drame is another parody which showcases the Ripper as a vegetarian who slaughters butchers in revenge for their killing of animals.
1: That sounds actually quite like of the time now. <laughs>
0: yeah, 1937. <laughs> And then moving into an entirely different genre, there were 70s and 80s sexploitation horror movies.
1: Wow. I know you know. I love those. (laughs) So those
0: include Kirsten's favorite movies, Blade of the Ripper, The Ripper of Notre Dame, and The New York Ripper. (laughs) (laughs) Uh 1975's What the Swedish Butler Saw is almost exclusively softcore porn where the Ripper hides in a photo studio where people have sex. <laughs> so it's insane. Time travel movies and movies, plural.
2: hmm.
0: 1979's Time After Time. 1985. Yes! Oh, I got it.
1: <laughs> you got it. That's my favorite. Oh my gosh.
0: Woo! Yes. Have I, I seen was worried. It? i have not seen it
1: uh it's amazing andy mcdowell mary steenburgen it's amazing okay dreamcast already hg wells sherlock holmes jack the ripper like it has everything you would ever want
0: yes okay i will be watching that um there's also 1985's bridge across time which starred david hasselhoff (laughs) Less of a stellar cast. There's gender flipping movies, uh, notably Jill the Ripper. There's ghost movies. There's slasher movies. There are hundreds of films. (laughs) And I'm so glad I got yours because that's where the film section ends.
1: Oh, good. I'm so happy too. And in my excitement, did I say Andrew McDowell?
0: No, you said Andy.
1: But it's Malcolm McDowell. (laughs) (laughs) This out. <laughs> Malcolm McDowell. That's not McDowell. what I expected you to say. Malcolm McDowell, Mary Steenburgen. Yes.
0: Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and by the way, those two were married. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know if this is where they met, but they were married, had a baby, who is now married to. Dun,
0: dun, 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 dun.
1: Lily Collins.
0: Ah. Oh wow.
1: Daughter of national treasure of the UK, Phil Collins. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, Emily in Paris herself.
1: <laughs> wow. That's I mean, it's not surprising, but hearing it all laid out, it's I I think you need to use your catchphrase.
0: Oh, it's coming. It's okay. coming.
1: All right, I can't wait. <laughs> Mm
0: -hmm. So then, instead of continuing the movie route, we'll switch quickly, as quickly as possible, into TV. Okay. So, the 1960s, the Ripper was already established in American television as a universal force of English. Oh, my God, my brain. (laughs) Universal force of evil. (laughs) (laughs) Freudian slip? Don't know. Uh,
1: Sorry. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Who could be adapted to suit nearly any villainous role, either as an actual killer or as an inspiration. So mm. you'll see that on full display as I talk through some prominent examples of the small screen. hmm So in 1963, and for some reason, keeping with the wax museum theme, an episode of the Twilight Zone entitled The New Exhibit features the curator of a wax museum who becomes so obsessed with five figures, including Jack the Ripper, that he commits murder to protect them. Mm. In 76, Robert Block, who I mentioned in the literature section, wrote the episode Wolf in the Folds for Star Trek. And that shows the Ripper as a long-lived, non-corporeal being that commits mass murder on many worlds over the centuries. Oh. And then the Ripper character is seen in a 1968 episode of a show called Simmer and Strip, a 1970 episode of Get Smart, also entitled House of Wax. So this Jack the Ripper Wax Museum thing just keeps happening.
1: That's so... It's such a strange... Yeah pairing
0: (laughs) and then in 1980 there's an episode of fantasy island featuring a criminologist who uses a time portal to confirm her suspicion that jack the ripper was a doctor
1: oh my god i loved that
0: show and that was connected to a 1948 radio play that inspired that episode so then staying in the sci-fi realm babylon 5 episode comes the inquisitor from 1995 features a character named sebastian who is jack the ripper who was abducted by aliens in the year 1888 and that's why he stopped killing even though that's not technically the right time but there must be scholarly articles about placing the character of jack the ripper into sci-fi and paranormal stories it just keeps going
1: it's so interesting
0: in the TV show *Grim*, the final three episodes of season four reveal that Jack the Ripper was a spirit that initially manifested over a century before the Whitechapel murders. Um, the TV version of Sleepy Hollow featured Jack the Ripper through some of the plot lines. The 1974 show Kolchak the Night Stalker had an episode where a reporter pursues a supernatural killer whose victims matched the patterns of the original Ripper. Um, Jack the Ripper's featured in Voyagers and The Outer Limits, The Time Traveling comes back, in Goodnight Sweetheart, Legends of Tomorrow, Winona Earp, Time After Time. It's insane. I did not expect this would be the TV landscape yeah. of Jack yeah. the Ripper. But I guess it makes sense in terms of plotting. Like not every show can be eighteen eighties England. and there are those exist too i mean even recently in 2012 there was a british tv drama called ripper street and it was Mm. set just after the actual murders so like that exists too right but for television and for jack the ripper to be kind of like what i mentioned in the beginning just a general force of evil
1: right just an avatar for evil
0: totally through this paranormal sci-fi time travel it seems to just work because they keep doing it
1: yeah well and people keep consuming it you know so i mean if it didn't work if people didn't watch if it wasn't still intriguing they wouldn't do it yeah it's
0: wild so instead of rambling on more about tv let's talk about comic books
1: (laughs) oh yes
0: so unsurprisingly and especially after we found out that a cask of amontillado was in comic books (laughs) (laughs) shout out edgar Allan poe episode check that one out too
1: check out all of them
0: true true but
1: especially that one
0: (laughs) but yeah from hell is a graphic novel about the case by alan moore and eddie campbell and it took its name from the from hell letter Mm -hmm. supposedly from the ripper we'll see depending (laughs) on where you fall (laughs) <laughs> and this story follows the conspiracy that accuses royalty and Freemasons of complicity in the crimes.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: In that same vein, royalty and the Ripper also feature in the 86 comic Blood of the Innocents by Richard Shanklin, Mark Kemple, and Mark Wheatley, and as well as a storyline in DC Comics' Hellblazer from 92. Hmm. Issue number 100 of Marvel Comics' Master of Kung Fu from 81 also features a story in which the ripper was an experiment of fu manchu dc's okay. <laughs> gotham by gaslight from 1989 features a victorian era batman who's hunting the ripper in new york city hmm. just because <laughs>
2: <laughs> Why not?
0: Uh, beyond that jack the ripper is featured in grant morrison's doom patrol in 89 wonder woman amazonia and Predator Nemesis from 97, and a Judge Dredd story. The Justice League of America series also fuses the Ripper story with H.G. Wells' The Island of Dr. Moreau. And that's sort of like Marvel in D.C. Beyond that, there's a 2001 comic, Whitechapel Freaks, by David Hitchcock, and that uses Jack the Ripper as an underlying figure. There's an Italian comic called Martin Mystery in which a vampire, Richard Van Helsing, discovers that the Ripper is an ancient mythical force. And this comic pulls in Sherlock Holmes. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like not just ripples, it's like concentric circle ripples. Yeah. Uh, There's 1987's Phantom Blood is part of the very popular manga JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, and that features Jack the Ripper. He's in Fate... Records of Ragnarok, attack on Titan. It's astounding. All of this from Jack the Ripper, Marvel, DC. So I guess it's time to petition Disney to put Jack the Ripper in the MCU. I, or don't. I don't know.
1: Yeah, that's amazing.
2: God. There's just
1: something about it. The mystery, you know, the setting... All of it. And Mm -hmm. again, like the not knowing. I think there's just something about not knowing that's so hard for the brain to accept. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the spark of most obsessions, right? Is like the inability to resolve something.
0: Yeah. So then (sighs) now let's look at music. Mm. American rocker Link Rays, 1959 instrumental song Jack the Ripper, begins with an evil laugh and a woman scream and that set the tone for a lot of interpretation these devices were used in the 1963 song also called jack the ripper that was originally recorded by english musician screaming lord stutch and then that song was covered by the white stripes the horrors black lips the sharks and the aptly named band jack and the rippers uh. Uh, bridging music and movie, the 1984 mockumentary This Is Spinal Tap features mm-hmm. a vignette in which the band discusses the possibility of composing a rock opera about Jack the Ripper's life called Saucy Jack in response to the Saucy Jackie postcard supposedly mm-hmm. sent by the Ripper. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, like in many of our episodes, metal bands are particularly drawn to associate themselves with the bloodshed and sleaze image of the Ripper. Mm-hmm. So Judas Priest and Praying Mantis both released songs entitled The Ripper. American deathcore band Whitechapel derived its name from Whitechapel in London. Yeah. And that band's debut album, The Somatic Defilement, which, God. Oh. Uh. <laughs> It's a first-person narrative concept album based on Jack the Ripper, no thank you.
1: What does that even mean?
0: <laughs> Just gross to be gross. The Texas metal group Ripper went for a more direct name choice, uh, and vocalists with the groups Meridian and Sodomizer adopted the names Jack D. Ripper and Ripper, respectively gothic metalcore sextet motionless in white released a song entitled <laughs> london and terror songs inspired by the ripper were recorded across genres by artists as varied as morrissey nick cave and the bad seeds the legendary pink dots three headcoats the buff metaways and bob dylan hmm. radio werewolf's album the fiery summons features a song called from hell which uses words from the actual letter the from hell letter the power metal band Falconer wrote a song entitled Jack the Knife for their album Grime vs. Grandeur, and that song's heavily inspired by Jack the Ripper and reinforces uh, mythical traits. Mm-hmm. The Brazilian thrash metal band Torture Squad also recorded a song based on Jack the Ripper, um, and that's called Leather Apron. Uh, Most recently, Respite of the Spatial Fields, the closing track from Swedish metal band Ghost's 2022 album, is about Jack the Ripper. Mm. You can listen to many of these on our Most Foul Music playlist on Spotify. Uh, Check them out and listen at your own risk.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yuck. That all sounds yuck.
0: Kind of winding us down, I'm going to power through some video games, mm. Mm. which is actually interesting. So,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Again, you're going to see so many recurring themes in this uh, media as well. Mm-hmm. But to start us off, we have 1987's text adventure game, Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. So, again, The character of Jack the Ripper is at the forefront of media, from radio plays and silent films, now to text-based video games in the 80s. Mm. We're obsessed as Western culture, at least, but not even just Western. I mean, looking into the manga, like, this is incredible. Mm -hmm. So next, we have Sega's Master of Darkness from 1992 that reveals Jack to be an animated wax doll. (laughs)
1: So weird.
0: The same year Jack was featured in the horror role-playing game Waxworks. <laughs> it's crazy. I that it is, is baffling.
1: It is baffling.
0: Um moving away from Wax museums, Jack is one of the historically based characters in the World Heroes Fighting game series and that franchise started in 94, or at least his introduction to the franchise started in 94. -hmm. Rounding out the 90s, he was in Jack Bros in 95, Ripper 96, Duke Nukem Zero Hour, and Shadow Man, both in 99. Mm. Moving into the 2000s, he was in the gothic horror game Medieval 2. In the Metal Gear Solid games, the character Raiden is known as Jack the Ripper. Mm. Um, There was a full game entitled Jack the Ripper in 2003. And this one, the player takes on the role of a reporter who's covering similar murders in New York. And, spoiler alert, the killer in the game is actually the Ripper. So that's following the he immigrated to America yeah. theory. Yeah. The 2007 game, Mystery in London on the Trail of Jack the Ripper, fuses the Ripper story with Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, there's 2009, which guess who? Sherlock Holmes joins the fray with the game. <laughs> Sherlock Holmes versus Jack the Ripper. Oh. And finishing off video games, there's Splatterhouse, Assassin's Creed 3, The Order, 1886, Assassin's Creed Syndicate, Dance of Death, and Identity V. So keeping with the theme an absurd amount of video game representation yeah that pulls in those same themes dr jekyll mr hyde sherlock holmes waxworks paranormal
1: yeah it's so interesting
0: so kind of lastly and the mythos of jack the ripper is so prevalent it found its way into sports as well in 2011 (sighs) an independent minor league baseball team in london ontario announced that they would be known as the london rippers with a logo featuring jack diamond their mascot who wore a top hat and black cape
1: that's fucked up
0: well you read my mind rightfully (laughs) so this choice was criticized The one I went with was Megan Walker, the director of the local London Abused Women's Center, who stated, quote, people are outraged. I think it's appalling. It's insulting and stupid, and they better rethink their entire marketing strategy, end quote. And as scum is wont to do, Rush Limbaugh defended their name choice. Uh, Of course he did. But we got the last laugh. Not because Rush Limbaugh's dead, but that also happened. <laughs> but because the team folded the next year in 2012 and doesn't exist anymore.
1: Yay! Fuck you,
0: fuckards. Yeah. So, ending it all out. Lastly, Jack the Ripper was selected by BBC History Magazine and its readers as the worst Briton in history. I don't know that that's true. When I think of the genocide done by the British Empire throughout the history of humanity and to our knowledge, we can prove that Jack the Ripper killed five people. So, right, I get it and its cultural (laughs) impact, but there's been way worse Brits and there are probably way worse Brits today.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, just as serial killers go, like, not the most prolific that we know of.
2: Yeah. Yeah, but,
1: I I mean, there's just something about Jack, which is going to be the name of my Jack (laughs) the Ripper-themed musical. Yes.
0: (laughs) But at this point, it is officially safe to say that no other case has come close to this level of impact on culture.
1: Yeah! I love it when we outdo...
0: I don't know because, if there is outdoing this one, though. You think? I mean, we'll I have mean, to put some brain power, but... Jesus Christ. Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's astounding yeah. the ways this monster and these monstrous acts have shaped every, yeah every piece of the world around us from criminology, social reform, media journalism in general yeah infinite movies books plays operas comics mangas fucked up sports teams like (laughs) could we call it the
1: crime of the millennium millennium millennia could we call it the crime of the millennia millennium millennia millennium
0: we can nobody can (laughs) stop us
2: (laughs)
1: Well, yeah, because Jesus was in the one before that. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's crazy. We joke, but it's a heinous crime and real people were killed. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it did something to the human psyche or, you know, shone a light on something that had always existed. But, yeah, really, really interesting, fascinating, mysterious. And... Now, I have a question for you, just uh-huh. an out of my ass hypothetical. Tomorrow, DNA test is done, and we know the identity of Jack the Ripper. And it's someone who we have pictures of, and we know some things about, and we can read kind of like we know enough to make a Wikipedia page about this person. Uh huh. What happens to the culture? does it die because now we know who it is does it increase I, because now we know who it is like what what would you think would happen
0: i say new phase um mm-hmm. now we get a million explorations on this real person mm-hmm. so it goes into historical-esque nonfiction for sure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. books Movies, documentaries, nonfiction abound. Then we're going to get into the fictionalized retelling of the true story of Mm -hmm. this person, who they were, how they hit it, motive speculation. But I don't think the myth of Jack the Ripper goes away.
1: Yeah, agreed. Because we're the same.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, uh, I mean, to you, Kirsten, and to you, listener... Thank you for going on this journey with me. This one was a legit journey.
1: Oh my gosh! Thank you for doing it and for pouring so much into the research and assembling it in a way that is even po- makes it even possible to parse it.
0: <laughs> it's wild. It's wild. Yeah, it y'all. is
1: wild. It is wild. But I do think that we could make future attempts at Mount Everest, and I would love to. I mean, there's so many different ways you can look at it or parts of it that you can dissect, you know? I mean, Mm -hmm. I could do an entire episode on Time After Time.
0: Well, I was thinking that too. Like, not that this would be us, but like you could set out and be like, okay, I'm going to do a podcast where every episode we watch a movie or a TV show about Jack the Ripper, it would be hundreds and (laughs) hundreds of potential episodes. (laughs)
1: It's crazy, but I mean, people cannot get enough.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable. And as someone who lives in this world, I was shocked by mm-hmm. some of these themes. Like, not that they exist, but like the recurring nature of them, the, just so much that
1: yeah. <laughs> it's like, what yeah.
0: the hell? Yeah, Every but... sci-fi show has a Jack the Ripper episode? <laughs> that seems crazy.
1: <laughs> but I also wonder if it's like, I well, you know you weren't alive so you don't know but there was a time in the 70s where i've 70s and like early 80s where every show and every popular kind of franchise was doing their take on a christmas carol (laughs) so that's when like the muppets christmas carol came out Uh, and there was one with the fawns in it and like family ties did a (laughs) Did a Christmas Carol episode. And I feel like it's that. like once it kind of gets into a certain, you know, milieu uh-huh. as as I mispronounce, then it kind of, you know, it sets it off in in that way, and then it starts getting. I mean, it's like memes, really, when True. you think about it. You know, we think about memes in this very kind of like narrow way as a gif or an image on on the internet. But I mean, that's what. Mimification is right—is taking this kind of base idea and then replicating it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh. So
1: interesting.
0: So yeah, listeners, one last appeal: please, if you have stories, thoughts, things you want to talk specifically, Jack the Ripper, send them our way. kirsten and I are gonna keep going down this train, even as we're making new episodes about different crimes for y'all.
1: <laughs> for sure. I love that we get to do this.
0: Me too. Uh. <laughs>
1: And, as always, we appreciate the hell out of you.
0: 100%. Boop.
1: Please head over to Apple Podcast and rate and review our show. It really helps us out. Plus, we'll read five-star reviews on an upcoming episode.
0: This has been a Facts from Janet production.